Live with CDP, a weekly sports and entertainment podcast, live on YouTube, Facebook Live, Twitter, and on audio via Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Now here's your host, Chris Pame. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Live with CDP Sports Podcast on this Monday, August 8th, 2022. Uh, tonight's season four, episode 19. That's my favorite number, by the way, number 19. I'm looking forward to my guest tonight. Uh, he is currently the public address announcer for the Detroit Red Wings at Little Caesars Arena. He took over the PA. Um, he's following in the footsteps of the late Bud Lynch. Uh, his name is Eric. Friney. I hope I pronounced his last name right. Uh, he's been with the Red Wings since 2007-08 uh, when he worked in their ticketed department and now uh, he's been the uh, the voice of uh, DeJulius Arena and now Little Seas Arena for the last 11 years. So I'm looking forward to speaking to Eric about his career and also about the Detroit Red Wings uh, who have uh, made some off nice off-season moves as well. So just bear with me guys and I'm going to bring on the voice of uh, Little Seas Arena. One second. Good evening, Eric. How you doing? Hey, good, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Good. Did I get your last name right? Yes, you did. At Friday. Okay. Absolutely. Not bad. Okay. Okay. I've got to work on it. I had. Uh, I was talking to Mike Ross, who's a Leafs guy. He's a big mm -hmm. fan of yours. And he was just telling me, and I, I just have to keep working on that. Well, I, I tell you, they don't get any easier once you get in the NHL behind the mic of a public address announcer. There's a lot of challenges with the pronunciation. So no harm, no foul if you mess one up every now and then. Yep. Yeah. No, like I said, and I appreciate that. And uh, Mike was great too. I had him on for about an hour and a half and uh, he's done a great job with the Leafs as well. Yeah. Ross, he's a great guy. He's, it's funny. There's only 32 of us in the world with the same job and uh, we, you get to become friends, even if you don't get a chance to meet in person very often. And, and, and Rossi and really every guy in the NHL, the PA announcers all around the league are all really, they're great to work with. We help each other out. Uh, with pronunciations and different things, but also just good guys away from the microphone as well. Absolutely. And you're probably about the 15th guy I've had on that's a, a public address announcer, yeah. and I've been very lucky. And I had Tom Cahoon on from the Blues uh, a few months ago, too. I can't believe it. He hasn't missed a game since 1987. I know. I, you know, that that's the, the longevity of these guys is unbelievable. I I did the math at the end of last season. I think I haven't missed one yet either. Uh, I'm at five, like 400 and I think it was 13 games or something. And that seems like an eternity for me. And compared to those, a lot of the guys in the league, I'm just getting warmed up. So I'm going to miss my first couple this year uh, because of some family obligations coming up. So my streak will have to reset uh, at zero coming up here after opening night. But when you think about, you know, NHL players playing a thousand games or goalies playing in 500, which is their equivalent, there's so many public address announcers in the league who don't get me wrong, don't have the same job as the guys on the ice, but to be around for a thousand, 1500, 2000, even 2500 or more for some of these guys, it's pretty unbelievable. And I was going to say Lou Nolan of mm -hmm. the Philadelphia Flyers. That's just amazing. So, um, I was going to say, before we get into some questions, uh, Eric, um, I'm a huge Tigers fan, lifelong Tigers fan since uh, 79. Uh, by the way, I want to say a shout out to my cousins, Mike and Terry Polovich. They live in uh, um, 
Taylor, Michigan. They're nice. the ones that they they're the ones when I was visiting them uh, from Ontario back in the seventies that made me into a Tigers, Red Wing, and Pistons fan and Michigan Wolverines. Well, hey, most of those isn't too bad. I'm a Spartan myself, but everything else, uh, the local teams around here, yeah, it's it's hard not to be a fan of of these these teams in such a great sports town. And whether it's Michigan or Michigan State, it's a college town, pro town, a little bit of everything. So yeah, oh yeah, Taylor's about you know 15 to 25 minutes away yeah. from the arena, depending on where you live. So I could definitely understand how they'd make you make you a local fan for sure. Definitely. Hey, I was going to say, um, I'm a Tigers fan too. What are your thoughts on Lou Whitaker finally having his number one retired? And were you at Comerica Park on Saturday for that ceremony? You know, I, I was not this time of year. I'm, I'm away from a lot of sporting venues, just catching up on, you know, family obligations. I got three kids in the house, eight and under and uh, lots of different things. You know, they're playing their own sports and I'm trying to coach them and do things. So I actually haven't been to Comerica Park yet this year. I've got tickets for a game against uh, the Angels coming up here in a couple of weeks. But regarding Whitaker, I mean, I, I certainly long overdue for the Hall of Fame, which is still to come, hopefully. But the number one should definitely not be worn by anybody else in uh, in Camara Park or obviously the Tigers history for that matter. And it, it well deserved and fitting that he threw the first pitch out to Alan Trammell is his uh, double play partner there. Looks like he got a is that a card? I, oh, there we go. Now I can see it. It came in the picture. A 78 rookie card for tops yeah, awesome. in condition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that that's great. And you know, I grew I grew up. I was I was born in '84, so Tigers won the series when I was a couple weeks old. And you know, I grew up watching Trammell and Whitaker. They're my favorite players. Tom yeah. Brookins at third base as well. Chet yeah. Lemon in the outfield. Dave Bergman at first. A lot of those guys. And it's nice to see him come back uh, every now and then to Comerica Park for any host of reasons to kind of celebrate the team. But Lou Whitaker putting his number out in the uh, in the bricks in the outfield forever is certainly well deserved, no doubt. Yes, and he should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame, too. In my opinion, it's been a, a, an injustice of why he hasn't been in the Hall of Fame. You know, it, it's 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 funny, too, because a lot of Hall of Fames, there's different opinions about, you know, who belongs in which hall and, and who's really voting on it and what's what's the right thing to do. But it seems like there's a little bit of a groundswell for guys like Lou Whitaker and obviously on the hockey side, Chris Osgood as well around here that uh, deserve a Hall of Fame call from the local fans. And yeah it's pretty easy to argue for them. I mean, some of the milestones they've had in their career and Lou Whitaker, no exception. I know the Tigers posted over the weekend, you know, the, the war, which wasn't really a stat, you know, that was talked about when Lou Whitaker played, but how many guys he's better than in that category that are in the hall, it makes a big difference. And I think eventually his time will come. It probably should have happened a long time ago, but uh, better late than never. And when that day comes, Lou will appreciate it and it will be well-deserved for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't know if you can comment on this, but I was going to say, uh, there's one more number I'd like to see retired in Detroit, and uh, that would be number 91 for Sergei Fedorov, one of my favorite all-time Red Wing players and and helped the Red Wings to three Stanley Cups. And I'm, I'm hoping one day uh, his number will be retired at Little Caesars Arena. Yeah, time will tell. I think, I don't know if it was Steve Eiserman or Chris Ilcher, who they talked to last year about it, and it sounded like it was definitely something on the table. I know they took care of, of Red Kelly not that long ago. I was uh, at that game. Oh, good. Well, as you would know, I was as well, obviously. Yeah. Um, that was well-deserved and long overdue, so that, that was nice to see the uh, the Illich family, and of course, led by Jimmy Devolano, sort of pushing for that to, to get that done. That was great. Um, I, I think whether it's 91 or or some people would want to see 30 or even 24 for a couple of guys, Probert, Chelios, and others yeah. that could go up there. I, I think they're not done retiring numbers, probably, as far as what one's next, who knows. But there's been you're, – you're certainly not the only one to say 91 is, uh, uh, you know, one that the fans would like to see, definitely. 
Yeah, definitely. And uh, I'm looking forward to coming to a game this year because I haven't been to a Red Wings game at Little Seeds Arena since February 4th, 2019. The Red Cali night where uh, the Red Wings beat the Leafs 3-2 in overtime. And uh, it was just really, I'm, I'm glad they honored number four and did that for Red Cali before he passed away. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and obviously for a lot of host of restrictions and travel rules. You probably haven't been able to come to some games for uh, for the last couple of years. Of course, it was pretty strange uh, when, when COVID first hit, when we were uh, you know doing a hockey game in front of friends and family, and that's about it for a while there. Then they started to open up capacity a little bit. But a lot of people, I still hear it. Uh, you know, We're at, what, five or six years now of Little Caesars Arena, and I've heard a lot of people say either I've been to one or haven't been to any yet, and I'm looking forward to it, or they've been a concert or a Pistons game or something. But I think as the team obviously progresses on the ice here, more and more fans are going to come check it out and they will not be disappointed. The building itself is just unbelievable. Every bell and whistle you can imagine. And uh, uh, certainly people walk out of there with their, their jaws on the ground because they're pretty impressed. Yeah. Yeah. And just because of the pandemic too, for a couple of years, I couldn't go across the border. So now Mm -hmm. that the border restrictions have loosened some, I'm hoping to go to a game as a fan and I'm also going to, hopefully I'm going to try to contact the Red Wings and maybe try to do a game as a freelance media member. I'm uh, I'm trying to get into radio and uh, I've had all these opportunities. So I'm going to reach out to Red Wings like I did with you and, uh, and see if they might be able to help me out for one game to, uh, be able to uh, do some work up in the media press box. Yeah, absolutely. I know game to game, the requests obviously fluctuate, whether it's front office requests or broadcast requests, or if the Canadians are in town, there's double of everything with two languages yeah. and things like that. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely. Reach out to the PR team. And if there's a spot in a chair for you, they'd be happy to have you for sure. Definitely. Hey, before I get last thing, before I get onto some questions, uh, what were your thoughts on Darren Helm uh, getting his second Stanley cup uh, ring and with Colorado this year? Well deserved. Uh, certainly, you know the, the the term legend gets thrown around, and I don't think Darren Helm is considered a Red Wings legend by all means, but certainly a longtime Red Wing fan favorite for a while, a, a grinder, a guy who works his butt off on the penalty kill, and sort of a one man fast break going the other end a lot of times, and was a lot of fun to watch, and and uh, certainly a little bit frustrating at times. We joked around about his his hands being like. Chris Draper's in, in one aspect, but when he left, I think it, the, the locker room felt it. Him and Luke Lindenning were a big part of the locker room for a long time. So when he left, it was felt, but you know, it's part of the circumstances with the roster and salary cap in today's NHL. And when he went to Colorado, of course, you know, old habits die hard. So you still don't care for the avalanche and you're kind of thinking of all the teams, you know, why that one? But then as the season went yeah. on and it was pretty clear, the avalanche for the team to beat, you know, you start to root for him, not the, the team as much, but Darren Helm with a Stanley yeah. Cup in sight like that. Coincidentally, his uh, first Stanley Cup came during my first season with the team back in 07 08. So uh, he, he was, a, I think, a black ace that year, or, or for the most part, didn't play much in the playoffs. But you like to see his career go first full circle like that. He's obviously not done yet, but to win one nearly as a rookie and to win one as a, as a veteran on a team that certainly deserved it. Very happy for him. The NHL is a small world when it comes down to it, and you got your you got rooting interests all over the league, whether it's for the team or for the person. But very happy for Darren, no doubt. Yeah, I was always a fan of his. Uh, he was great skater, great penalty killer, mm-hmm. and he was a great teammate. I think I've never heard anything uh, negative about him in his time in Detroit. 
yeah, made a lot of friends in the locker room and his family as well with his daughters. Of course, the story of him giving, uh, you know, catching his daughter in the backseat of the car on the way to the hospital one time and all those things and, and certainly made a lot of uh, a lot of fans in Detroit well-deserved. So a lot of people gritting their teeth at the Avalanche won it, but you can yep. be happy for Darren, no doubt. Definitely. I was going to say, and uh, the Red Wings are definitely on the right path. And uh, Steve Eiserman yeah. in just a couple of years has already reshaped the roster. He's made it stronger. And then he's also got the Red Wings in a better uh, situation with the salary cap as well. Definitely. It's a, it's, it's a long process at times and it's kind of been, uh, you know, a few years in the making with the rebuild going on. I think it was important for the, the franchise to admit we're in a rebuild. You hang on for a little while because you're catching Zetterberg and Datsuk in their, the end of their prime. And those guys deserve a chance to go try to keep winning. But when, when it came down to it, the last year at the Joe was probably a fitting year, I guess, for the playoff streak to end because then you could celebrate the yeah. farewell of the Joe the right way. And now we're, at Little Caesars Arena trying to build it back up. And Iserman's already made some shrewd moves, certainly, and, and a lot of trades that have been uh, really well-received league-wide and, of course, in the locker room as well. Uh, Robbie Fabry comes to mind. That's been a great addition to the team as well as a host of others. So we're getting there. It's definitely a process, and it's not something that's going to happen overnight. But you, you can you can wake up July 1st most years, or in this case later in July, and figure out that Steve Eisenman made the team better uh, on free agency day, but also throughout the year when it comes to trades and different signings that he has for sure. Definitely. And I actually have a little piece of the um, Joe Louis arena uh, board from 1980 on a uh, Gila Fleur. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Gila Fleur with a little piece of the original board from the Joe Louis from 1980. Excellent. Yeah, there's yes. so many memories in that building and so many different legends played in there, of course, too. And the building was outdated from day one. Everybody knew it, but it was a hockey barn, uh, no no doubt. And it was uh, I kind of compare it to your first apartment out of out of college or high school, maybe yeah. when it, it's not the nicest place, but the memories in it are great. And you you kind of want to go back sometimes. But then you then you grow up a little bit and find something nice and new. And that's what yeah. Little Caesars Arena is to us. And the memories will be there soon enough at Little Caesars Arena as we're playing into the playoffs and beyond. And yeah. I've already got some great ones, but I know the, the, the crowds will be filling up every night for the most part. And uh, we'll have a, a lot more memories to be made for sure. I was going to say, and I went to my first ever Red Wings game, December 1981 at the Julos Arena on Saturday night against the Philadelphia Flyers, and they wore those Cooper All hockey pants, mm-hmm. which I had back then. They were a big thing back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and and uh, as a, uh, I think it was only nine at the time. I was like, oh my God, this is like a dream come true. <laughs> I was so overwhelmed by being in that I never got to go to the Olympia, but my late father took me to my first game there with my cousins from Taylor, and I loved it. And like I said, I've been a Red Wings fan for over 43 years, and uh, I hope to be at some more games too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I grew up going to the Joe in Section 209. My dad had season tickets, and I used to have my mom and sister and I pick out a game or two each and go, and most kids are looking down at the – the ice wanted to be Steve Eiserman or Brennan Shanahan. And I, I was two rows from the press box. So I'd turn around and see Bud Lynch or Dave Strader, Mickey Redmond, those guys. And they'd throw me down some press notes yeah. or talk to me after the game or beforehand and were gracious with their time. And it was easy to be a wings fan back then for a lot of reasons. Uh, but once they, once they finally got the cup in 97 and then rattled off four of them in a decade or so, uh, yeah, I mean, a, a dynasty is, is thrown around pretty loosely in today's sports world, but they certainly were one for a decade straight. Yeah, that week when they won in 97, my nephew was born that same week. So no it was thing. a very good week for me as a Red Wings fan and then becoming 
Yeah, I'll go for the question. I just wanted to show you my Steve Eiserman uh, rookie card with signed puck. Very good. I, I can see the, the glare a little bit there. Is that a, yeah. is that a gold? Dude, how'd you get it from him? Did he sign it at a official team signing, or did you get it to uh, uh, catch him walking in or out of a game? How'd you come across that? Catch him walking out of a game in Buffalo. And the rookie card, I got that many years ago. It's an 83 Opeachy Steve right. Eiserman rookie card, which is awesome. It's just awesome. And, and uh, like I said, I've been a fan of Steve Eiserman since his days with uh, the Peterborough Peets back in uh, mm -hmm. the early 80s. That was uh, Mickey Redmond's uh, team as well. Absolutely. My, my boys are eight and six and they're just starting to get into collecting cards. And so they, they yeah. really like, I've got one who likes to go for quantity and pick up as many of the cheap packs as he can. And another one who hand picks out the cards he wants. So he gets his, yeah. you know, Miguel Cabrera and yeah. Javi Baez and, and Iserman and Mo Sider and all those. So yeah, yeah I, it's a lot of fun collecting those things too. And I was going to say living in Oakville back in the late seventies, which is a suburb of Toronto, I had four or five Wayne Gretzky Opeachy rookie cards. But back then, us kids in the seventies, we played with our cards, put them in our bike sure. spokes, and we just—it's just now. I wish I had even saved one of those Gretzky <laughs> rookie cards. Yeah, it's easy to say it now, but you enjoyed playing with them as a kid. I think my my dad told me the next door neighbor with a Mickey Mantle rookie that ended up in the bike spoke somewhere too. So it, it happens, but it's it's a lot of fun playing with them. And that's part of the fun. You don't think about buying cards for the future when you're uh, yeah. when you're a young kid, right? That's true. That's definitely true. Yeah. I'm just going to get into some questions now, Eric. Sure. Can you just tell my audience here in Guelph? By the way, there is a Guelph connection with the Red Wings now too. Uh, can you just tell tell us uh, just the uh, audience a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to be entering my 13th season as the public address announcer for uh, the Red Wings, now at Little Caesars Arena from the Joe originally. I'm born and raised in Monroe, Michigan, about 45 minutes south of downtown Detroit. Uh, grew up a fan of all the local teams my, my whole life. And um, my mom and dad actually met on campus at Michigan State University. So that's where the Spartan connection comes in. But been a sports kid my whole life. Started out after college at Michigan State working with the uh, Cleveland then Indians, now Guardians, of course, uh, actually in the hospitality department. I had a hospitality degree from Michigan State along with my mass media communication. So uh, when the Wings came calling in 2007, I jumped at the chance to come back home and, and work for the Wings. That was in their, their ticket office, which is actually a pretty common way and probably the easiest way to get into a sports organization for those that are looking to do that. Um, you know, you're, you're, on, you're on the phones and you're making connections and, and meeting clients before, during and after games. And uh, I had a chance to do that for uh, upwards of 12 years. And uh, part of the process along the way, uh, they needed some help uh, with in-game presentation. And I served as the public address announcer for what I thought was a one-time thing for a Michigan-Michigan State college hockey game and kind of stuck with it. CCHA days back then and did a few more games and a few more then was able to check off an item on the bucket list uh, one night in uh, at the Joe where the Red Wings faced off against the Nashville Predators. Um, back then there were two PA announcers, Bud Lynch and another gentleman named John Fawson who were working together and John couldn't make it. So I was able to check one off the bucket list and work with Bud Lynch, which I thought would be the only time I'd ever do it. Never in my wildest dreams thought that I would, you know, stick with it and, and have a few more chances and then, as luck would have it, one offseason, I was approached about, uh, you know, working alongside Bud in a permanent role. And I, before they even told me what the pay was, I said, yes, I knew I was in no matter what and had to go to my, uh, you know, colleagues and make sure it was OK that I could wear two hats at the arena at once. And they were all for it. So had a really supportive uh, family and really supportive uh, work friends and coworkers that were able to kind of 
pushed me along the way. And now here we are about what I say about 415 games later, still yeah. doing it. And uh, one of the youngest PA announcers in the league, just coincidentally in the NHL for the most part, it's a lot of established veterans in the area who have done maybe some AM or FM radio work in the past or have a lot of broadcasting experience. I uh, don't have as much as they do, but I like to think now entering year 13 that I'm starting to figure this thing out. And if they'll have me back and my badge will keep working at little Caesars arena, I will keep showing up till they tell me not to. That's awesome. And uh, when I went to that game with the Ray Kelly ceremony, I was really impressed with your work. And when you go into an arena, you hear that arena's voice, you identify with the team. And I don't think PA announcers get enough credit because you obviously got your broadcasters, TV and radio, and they do all a great job, especially in Detroit. But it's nice to have that familiar voice when you go in the, uh, into your home team's arena. No, I appreciate that. And I think every city kind of takes a little bit of life of its own as far as the PA announcer is concerned. Some, uh, some cities have a PA announcer who, you know, for lack of a better term, is a celebrity, part of the team, you know, and then everybody knows who he is. And there's a lot of dialogue back and forth during a game and people hollering out, people hollering out different things to the announcers. And um, a few cities come to mind that way. But in Detroit, and Bud Lynch kind of taught me this a little bit as you see him kind of over my shoulder over there. You know, he, he basically said, well, Our goal is not to be part of the show. We're, we're Part, you know, we're supposed to kind of accentuate some of the details and be part of the action, but we're not supposed to take over. And it's, you know, you look at it like you're an umpire a little bit. If they don't know your name, you're doing your job pretty well. And that's that's the idea. So I've always kind of modeled myself after the way Bud did it. I don't think there was ever a better one in broadcasting than than Bud Lynch. And so to be able to kind of mold a little bit of my my style after him is, is a pleasure. But also I think it's uh, one that's brought me a little bit of success over the years too. Okay. I was going to ask you this question. I, I think the answer to one of it is Bud Lynch, but do you have any other mentors besides Bud Lynch who gave you some guidance when you were first starting out? First starting out, I had um, the, the one that comes to mind is actually my old boss, for lack of a better term, or uh, the, the director of in-game presentation with the Red Wings many moons ago. Her name's Erin Sequeira. She actually has moved on to a couple of different organizations since then, and including the, the, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Seattle Kraken. But she definitely did a, a, a great job of letting me find my way. Uh, you know, a lot of times if you get on the microphone and you're scared to make a mistake, you're, you're kind of buried from the beginning. She always told me, don't worry about it. You're not, you're not worried about, uh, you know, losing a job or getting in trouble for anything. If you make a mistake, put your, put your head down and try harder next time. And, and she was great with that and helped me sort of find my way, introduced me to Bud personally. We had a great relationship because of that. Um, over the last few years, I would say before he retired and I still am in contact with him regularly. Uh, Mike Emmerich, Doc, Doc Emmerich has been a great mentor and friend of mine for, for many years. He actually was a season ticket holder uh, with the Red Wings, and I happened to be his account representative for a long time. So that was just coincidental that we had a little bit of a path crossing that way, too. But Doc's is as nice as you picture on TV and then some. He is uh, such a, a great man and he's well respected throughout the NHL as he should be, but he's uh, an even nicer man than he is great broadcaster. So I would consider him a mentor and a friend as well. Um, I always send ideas his way and he's able to give me some feedback or we just talk hockey for a while. And the last one I would say is, is Ken Cal, the uh, current radio voice and longtime voice of the Red Wings um, for 97 won the ticket. He's been unbelievable to me as a coworker, but also as a friend too. He's great about putting himself out there and, and, and having fun with the job, but also being a, a consummate pro. Nobody takes more notes and does more research than Ken Cal and Paul Woods. And I kind of model myself after that a little bit too, because 
you would think in the course of 45 games plus playoffs and then some year after year, it would be pretty easy to get complacent. Uh, at least that's the home games. Ken does 82 of them, if not close to it. And Ken prepares just as hard for a Tuesday night in the middle of winter against the Blue Jackets as he does for opening night or, or game seven of a Stanley Cup playoff series. So uh, to, to be able to see that live and in action in the media room at uh, Little Caesars Arena or up in the press box and just talk to him offline, those those three are certainly who I would mention when you, when you ask that question. I was going to say, and uh, both of you guys fall are following in the footsteps of legends. I uh, made the mistake of uh, once telling uh, Bob Soshi you replaced Gil Sandals, who was the pa- New England Patriots play-by-play uh, mm-hmm. play guy for 36 years. And Bob, who's such a nice guy, I think he's similar to Ken Gal. He just said the forward foot, uh, you don't replace a legend, you follow them in their footsteps. And mm-hmm. I was going to say, you and Ken uh, had um, big footsteps to follow in with uh, Bud Lynch and also Ken Cow. And uh, 24 years ago, I wrote to Ken Cow, and I was interested in broadcasting back then. And he took the time to send me a nice long letter with encouragement and advice. Unfortunately, I didn't follow up on it back then because I, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. But now, 25 years later, I finally figured out what I want to do it, by getting into radio. And uh, I've contacted Ken again on Twitter. And Ken's been so nice to uh, uh, to tweet me back and, and give me some advice and just to keep telling me to keep grinding away at my podcast. Yeah, and it surprises me none. Ken, Kenny's great. There's There were so many, you know, a lot of, a lot of the guys in the, in the ticket office or uh, just around the front office of the Red Wings grew up as fans. And maybe we were, uh, you know, a couple decades younger than Kenny. And, and they, they have stories of, hey, I met you at a team event back in 1999 and you signed this for me. Or there's a picture of you and I in my scrapbook from being a kid. And it was a thrill to meet you. And Ken can, if he can't recall it specifically, he asked him, Hey, fill me in. What happened? What, you know, what we talk about, what we do. Nice to talk to you. And and he means it. He truly does. The amount of time he spends um, talking with fans, uh, both online and in person at games uh, in all cities, all around the NHL is astounding. You know, when you, when you think about how much work goes into a broadcast and how easy it would be for someone to say, Hey, can't, can't speak right now. I'm sorry. I'm really busy getting, getting show prep going, or I got to watch this morning skate or get into practice or something. Ken does a great job of, of uh, he's very gracious with his time. And uh, he's a tremendous person to have in the Detroit sports scene uh, going all the way back to his days, broadcasting, uh, you know, Michigan hockey, you know, 25 plus years ago. We've been uh, very spoiled as Red Wing fans because growing up back in the 70s and 80s, I used to be able to listen to WJR 760 sure. with mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Martin and uh, Sid, Sid, Sid Abel. And mm-hmm. then eventually it was Bruce and Paul Woods. And then uh, Bruce retired after the 95 season. And then Ken took over. And we've been lucky. We've I've only had two radio guys my whole life with the Red Wings, Bruce Martin and Ken Cal. Yeah, the, the longevity, a lot of the broadcasters in this area, you talk about the Tigers and Ernie Harwell and, and absolutely George Kell and LK line and a host of others. And, you know, George Blaha has been all over different sports, Michigan State, the Pistons and beyond uh, throughout his years. And just so many all the way down the line, uh, you know, Mark Champion, even there's there's such a, a long list. Dan Dickerson, obviously, and Jim Price, so many different names that are just synonymous with Detroit sports b- behind a microphone and, you know, from a from a public address standpoint, Bud Lynch was obviously the gold standard around here too, but Bob Virgil's with the Tigers for many years. And he's uh, down in Toledo now doing stuff with the mud hens and the walleye and everything. Uh, just a, a whole host of, of great uh, well-known uh, names and voices uh, in Detroit sports for sure. 
Absolutely. And uh, Ernie Howe, when I was uh, 13 years old, I went to a, a Jays-Tigers game at Tiger Stadium. And after the game, Ernie signed a ticket stub for me, and, and I still have it to this day. And uh, I just wish uh, I, I could have uh, talked to him more that day. But uh, to me, he that's one of the most cherished uh, cherished autographs I have is having his autograph. And, and he's just he was just such a great announcer. Oh, Good absolutely. Person. And, you know, a lot of people have been talking about him lately with the passing of Vin Scully, who not only was a Dodgers mm-hmm. legend, but, you know, MLB legend all the way up and down in so many different sports. And for us around here, I think our Vin Scully was Ernie Harwell and, and maybe didn't get the national recognition until he was a little bit older, but broadcasted so many great games, was part of so many big moments uh, throughout sports history, not just Detroit, but around here, it, it won't it won't ever get any better than Ernie Harwell for sure. Absolutely. Definitely. Now, this question I wanted to ask you, Eric, what was the best advice that you received from the late Bud Lynch uh, when you were um, kind of working under him when you first started out doing PA announcing? Yeah, no, it was actually something really simple. And it kind of came about because the first time I ever did a game with Bud, it was I was thrown into it. uh, And against the Predators, and it was a one time thing. But then the next year in the preseason, I was probably visibly nervous. I'm sure I was, um, you know, thinking about all the different names I had to pronounce and they're not guys on the regular roster and all these different things. And I don't remember the situation. I just remember I I must've made some sort of mistake that was probably obvious to me and Bud and a few others, but not to the crowd. For the most part, you can make an error and kind of cover it up pretty good if you, if you're quick enough. And I just remember after the game, Bud told me I did a great job and I kind of for jokingly called him a liar and said, no, I didn't really do very well. I was well, one of my, not one of my best. And in the preseason, we have the advantage of playing again, probably the next day or two. And he looked right at me and it was simple. He just said, you know, every game's a new game and and don't, don't worry about a mistake from a previous game and don't spend any time patting yourself on a back from, for a great performance the night before every game's a new game. And it's, it's somebody's only game inside the arena. So give it your all every time. And, and that was really important because, you know, especially the dog days of winter around here, you're driving through six to eight inches of snow to get to the rink and you've already had a regular work day to day job. And, you know, you, you've seen your kids sparingly the last few days because it's a five home games and nine game stand or something or nine day stand. And it can be easy to sort of get down on yourself, even though going to the arena is a privilege every night. You lose sight of that sometimes. And it's good to clear your head a little bit before a game and say every game's a new game. And Bud definitely was instrumental in kind of teaching me that. Okay. Um, this next question, you've already answered the first part of it. I was going to ask just for the average fan, what is like, what is a daily uh, routine uh, before a home game like at Little Caesars Arena? First at Joe Lewis and now at Little Caesars Arena. Sure. And it, it varies depending on how late in the season we are and who the opponent might be. So I'll just give you an example of, of an early season game. Um, first and foremost, I arrive at the arena anywhere from 90 minutes to two hours before puck drop, sometimes more if necessary. And it's a like opening night or something like that. Uh, but for a standard game, it might be 90 minutes to two hours beforehand. Uh, the national hockey league gives us a pronunciation guide at the beginning of every season, which truthfully is obsolete after about two games because somebody gets traded and now they're on a new list and it's a hard copy list. They send us once. So I go over, we have a, a website that was developed actually by Ryan Mill, the public address announcer in Pittsburgh, uh, where he reached out to all of the announcers and had them record the themselves saying their own roster and it's uploaded onto one site. We can all share when there's transactions made. A lot of times the, the names will move under a different uh, team. So I go check that site out if there's, there's a challenge and, you know, always double check 
uh, the pronunciations. I like to go to the visiting team radio broadcasters because they usually, you know, their equivalent of Ken Cal would, would give me a, a good answer and feedback regarding the pronunciations. But beyond that, you go through the script with the game presentation team, make sure there's no hiccups in there. If there's something before the game, uh, like a, a pregame, you know, presentation, we did it for Mark Stahl's thousandth game last year, or there's a silver stick award winner, or I'm sure this year we'll honor more at Cider before a game as uh, the Calder Trophy winner from the previous season, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, make sure you've got the script most up to date. And from there, get your timing down. And, uh, you know, it's a little easier now at Little Caesars Arena because there's more options. But at Joe Lewis Arena, the number one thing he had to do was make sure you use the restroom before a game because there was one stall in a press box built for 200 people. So um, I'm I'm one of the wow. only few who I'm one of the only few who have to be at a microphone at a certain time, non-negotiable. Uh, Ken Daniels, Mickey Redmond, Ken Cal, Paul Woods being the four others, pretty much. And so uh, if you take care of that before the game, and even though you're going to have a lot of water to keep you going and and uh, keep the voice going during the game. You try to plan that out. But other than that, once the game gets going, that's the easy part. All the pregame stuff with the timing and national anthems and uh, starting lineups and presentations, that's that's when the uh, the bullets are flying, so to speak. And once the game gets going, I get to watch hockey from one of the best seats in the house, about 97 feet up in the air. So uh, the, the hardest part is over once the game gets started. Okay. One of my friends, she's from um, Saginaw, Michigan, and she is actually a, a performance a coach. A performance coach. She works with uh, junior A players with the Ontario Hockey League. Her name's Sandra Murray. She asked, uh, have you ever lost your voice, Eric, or hmm. perhaps had a coughing spell or got a bad case of the giggles during a game? Thanks, Sandra, for the question. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and thankfully, um, I have not had much of that as an issue uh, throughout my 12 years, lost voice um, before the game. You know, and if you wake up in the morning and you're not feeling great and you know um, that your voice is going to struggle, you try your best not to say a whole lot during the game. Uh, if your job during the day will allow you to do that, you make sure that you've got the the lozenges and the tea and honey ready to go and you just kind of push through it. I have many a times push through a game knowing I'm going to lose my voice by the third period and just have been thankful that there's not a game the next day usually. So you sacrifice a little bit of it there if necessary. Coughing, we have a, a mute button that helps you get through that. And I've probably had a few instances where in the middle of announcing a goal or a penalty or a presentation of some sort, something happens, but minimal for the most part. And we do have a lot of fun in the press box, but thankfully it hasn't leaked over into the microphone uh, during the game. So I've been able to, um, and it's probably a good thing that I can't, be seen on camera. I'm only only heard behind the microphone. So uh, we do have a ton of fun, but it doesn't translate necessarily uh, with the giggles on the microphone during the game. No. Okay. Well, thank you, Sandra, for that question. I was going to ask you, um, how high up is the uh, press box to Little Caesars Arena? I was at an arena in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, a couple months ago, covering an OHL championship game, and they made you go up a catwalk mm -hmm. a couple hundred feet up in the air to get to the press box there. And I was like, oh my God, the heights. Uh, is there? Do you guys have to do a catwalk there, or is it an elevator that takes you straight up to the gondola? The way they design Little Caesars Arena, uh, we don't have to do a catwalk specifically. There is an area above the light grid there that hangs hangs above the scoreboard that's accessible by catwalk only. I do not belong up there, thankfully. Um, no. So I, we, we take the elevator all the way up to the top, which is the fifth floor at Little Caesars Arena. And then there's a media, there's a you know credentialed area only where there's uh, security to let everybody up there. I think the number I heard was 97 feet above the ice is where 
the lower level of the gondola is, which is where my seat is. The upper level, the gondola, which is usually reserved for print media and scratch players and some of the PR staff, uh, that I believe is about 110 feet up. So uh, 97 is the number I keep using, and no one's corrected me to this date. Uh, I am located right on the goal line where the Red Wings shoot twice. So I actually operate the the goal horn as well. So I, I have a good view for that because if the puck's in the net, you don't hit the horn. If the referee signals that the puck's in the net, then you hit the horn. So I've got to keep an eye out for the officials uh, during the game. And if they signal it, then we're good to go. Otherwise, we hold off. But I'm right at the end where the wings shoot twice, which is good for power plays and shootouts and just a great vantage point to watch the game. I was at the blue line at the Joe a lot lower. Uh, the good news was you have a great seat. The challenge was you're, there's no barrier between you and the fans, so got to be careful what goes over the microphone, and it can be a little bit distracting at times, but at Little Caesars Arena, the view is is just as good, just a little bit higher and a different vantage point. I was gonna. I had to ask you this, Eric, since I got you on here. Is that the same goal horn they used at the Joe Louis Arena, or is it just a slightly a little bit different? It is. It's not the same horn in the sense that they were unable to tran- transfer it over. the The horn at the Joe was actually an old cruise ship horn, uh, a, a, a legitimate, you know, three four foot long uh, cruise ship horn that they would hit due to some regulations. And I don't know all the details, but there basically you would have to not only spend a ton of money, but get a lot of inspections passed to build, for lack of a better term a bomb-proof room in a new arena to house a horn like that because there's hydrogen involved and different things. So long story short, logistically, it's not incredibly safe to have something like that near the, the ice where the players are. So what they elected to do was use a recording of the old horn at the Joe um, automated now, obviously we still have the button that we push, but it's a, you know, it's controlled with a, an audio engineering board and they've looked into other options as well. I'm not sure if this is the one that'll stick or not, but it's an old recording of the the horn at the Joe and they've been playing around with it, tweaking, trying to get it as good as they can. Okay. And I even remember the, um, the older one than that. I think the Red Wings first started getting a goal horn, I believe uh, maybe 85, 86, and then I think by the end of the 80s, early 90s, they went to that uh, uh, the current goal horn they had. I, I always liked the way it sounded at the Joe. And and now, of course, translating it over to Little Caesar Arena can be a challenge with the different dimensions of the arena. But I guess to, to me, my thing is, is, as long as it's not a obnoxious sound, all I hear is the crowd cheering and, and we scored. And so there's no bad news when the goal horn's going off unless it was a mistake. So I, I like them all, but I know they're, they're looking at tweaking it. And they always, every year, not just the horn, but all, all aspects of the game presentation get looked at top down and ways they can make the fan experience even better. And, um, you know, certainly there'll be some surprises probably coming here in about seven, eight weeks when the preseason gets started and then opening night, October 14th as well. Okay. What was your favorite moment at the Joe Louis Arena? And what do you miss about the Joe Louis Arena? The people is what I would miss about the Joe. And what I mean by that is, you know, time marches on and things things change, but the, the front office of the Red Wings, and by that I mean the 
corporate partnership and ticket sales and marketing departments and PR team and everything else, you know, we were in such close quarters and, and in such a building that had its logistical challenges and lacked in amenities that you sort of feel like you're in it together. Uh, you know, and, and that certainly uh, was an unbelievable feeling to have that and go through it every day. And you walk out when you we walk in in the morning and it's still dark, you walk out at night and it's dark again, you turn back around a few hours later after a home game and it's dark again and you're in there and you see them more than you see your own family uh, you know, you, you kind of miss that not being there full time anymore. I, I miss some of those things, but as far as the memories are, are concerned, I guess I probably have a, a couple as a fan. I, I would say, you know, I kind of fell in love with Red Wings hockey in the 1994 Stanley Cup playoffs, even though it didn't end the way they wanted. I went to my first playoff game in 94 against the Sharks. The Wings won that one, I think, pretty handily game six to force a game seven. But, you know, my first playoff game was always a, a pretty big memory that sticks out. Uh, my oldest son was due uh, to be born the day we put Nick Lidstrom's number in the rafters. So that was a little bit stressful awesome. as a, as an employee, but about four, four 30 in the afternoon on game day, my wife let me know today's not the day. So it helped me relax a little bit and to be able to call, uh, you know, help Ken Daniels with the ceremony in some way and see number five go up in the rafters was pretty unbelievable. And then of course the last game at the Joe, one that most of us will never forget to see all those legends and sort of send the Joe off the right way, even though it was sad, uh, it was a great party. And, um, you know, lastly for me, probably, I think Henrik Zetterberg's overtime winner against Anaheim in game six of what I want to say was the 2014 playoffs uh, to force a game seven back in Anaheim that the wings eventually won. Uh, that was, that, that was up there too. The crowd was unbelievably loud knowing it might've been the last home game of the year and Zetterberg sent him home happy. And then we saw him again a few nights later because they went to round two against the Blackhawks. So that was about as loud as I ever heard up in the press box. I was going to say, and I went to uh, nine Red Wing games at the Joe Lewis, and uh, my my favorite moment, uh, obviously I wasn't at this game, but was game four of the 97 Stanley Cup Finals where sure. the, the Red Wings finally got that 42-year drought over, and they won uh, two to one, and uh, Ken Cal let Bruce Martin uh, call the second period and letting Bruce call Darren McCarty's winning goal. That was just so much good karma right there. The it, came, it came back to him in 2008. Ken had trouble with his voice regarding the yeah. question earlier, and and uh, Ken Daniels stepped in and then let Ken Cal call the end of the game on the radio broadcast. And so, and that's something that you, you know the, these broadcasters have such reverence for each other, and they're a team, and they're on the buses and the planes and the practice rinks together and doing all these things. It would have been very easy for Ken Daniels to just finish it off. He had, he had the fresh voice and did a great job like always, but to step aside and have Ken Cal finish it off like that was great. And that's a moment that lives in Red Wings history and it's got Ken Cal attached to it, but it was all class from Ken Daniels to be able to step aside and the same way Ken Cal did that for, for Bruce Martin, who wasn't able to call a Stanley cup championship in his many years as a broadcaster. So uh, it's, it's something like that, that uh, the younger generations, myself included, remember and try to, pay it for when the opportunity presents itself. Definitely. Are you okay for a few more minutes? A few more questions? Yeah, I've got a few more minutes. No problem. Okay. No problem. This one I had to ask. Um, how did you end up uh, doing public address announcing uh, for the Toledo Mudhands who were uh, the Detroit Tigers uh, AAA farm team and uh, the, the favorite team of uh, the MASH character, Jamie Farr? 
Yes. No, I actually was the Mud Hens uh, public address announcer before I worked for the the Red Wings. They uh, had an opening of, you know, some years back now, I think it would have been 2009, 10 and 10, 11. And uh, I, I knew someone in the front office and asked if it was okay if I could apply for it. They said yes. And I went out and did a uh, a mic check and a test and interview and made it to, I, I don't know how many rounds they had of, of interviews, but it got down to the point where uh, I was, I was offered the job and it was a combination of public address announcing for the most part, but also on field kind of MC work and helping the crowd out in between, you know, innings and doing different things for, you know, fireworks shows and things throughout the year. Uh, life in the minors is a fun life for sure. And the mud hens are minor league in name only it's it's one of the most professionally run organizations in sports and they are uh, a tremendous asset to the city of toledo and, and beyond and uh the relationship they have with the tigers you know being just a, a few miles down 75 and over to 280 there down the road uh it's, it's great I'm, I'm thrilled they're part of the local scene and, and their contract has been renewed for quite some time here now and i don't see it changing i i enjoyed my time with the mud hens 72 games uh, in the minors is, is a lot, but it was a lot of fun, good learning experience, and kind of was able to to cut my teeth behind the mic there as well. I really enjoyed it, and I still am on their list as a sub. I average maybe two or three games a year at the most, but whenever they need me, I'm, I'm a call away, and I'm happy to help when I can. I'm definitely going to have to get down there next uh, summer because I've been going to minor league ballparks. Uh, I was just in Buffalo this year, and uh, I definitely want to see a Mud Hens game in Toledo. I've heard so many good things about the city and the ballpark down there. Yeah, and they've really built up. They call it Hensville right around there. They've got kind of a – I hate to use Wrigley Field as a comparison because it always changes, but they've got a really good neighborhood built up there where you can be near the action and hear the action without being in the game and still yeah. have a ton of fun at the ballpark. Or you go in and, and fifth, third field is second to none in the minors. Uh, it's a great ballpark to, to watch the game, be close to the action, and then just the amenities inside. It's, it's minor league in name only, like I said. Yeah, come on down and check it out. Definitely. Now, if I do come down to Toledo, where's the best place to eat for food and uh, the best local beer, any local good beer down there? You know, if you want to stay close to the ballpark, uh, one of the one of the good atmospheres right there is the Dirty Bird right across the street. There's also uh, Tony Paco's restaurant, which I'm sure you're familiar with. They have a Paco's at the park right across the street there as well, too. And then actually inside the property itself in the building adjacent to the ballpark kind of as a connector, they've got a Fleetwoods is a great uh, tap room there. That's good for a bite before or even during the game. And a lot of local beers to sample there. I'm sure you won't be able to turn too far without seeing a tap that uh, catches your eye for sure. Okay, definitely. I'm, I'm definitely going to book uh, plans uh, to get down to a mud hands game next year, or even do a weekend down there. They're alluring the hunt this year right now, a little bit behind the pace, but playing pretty good ball. And, of course, this time of year, too, before September with the call-ups, with the big club and everything, you never know what the roster looks like. But uh, Spencer Torkelson's down there right now, and they've got a few guys that are getting some looks, hopefully, from the big club in Detroit before the end of the year here. And the, the Mud Ends are, are a very competitive, uh, entertaining team to watch. Okay. And since I'm uh, based out of Guelph, Ontario, I had to ask you this question. What are your thoughts on the Guelph Storm connection with uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, Fabry, Giovanni Smith, Plue Sutter, and now Ben uh, defenseman Ben Sherrod, who was acquired, I think, or signed as uh, a free agent from the Montreal Canadiens? Yeah, I, I think it was more, you know, kind of coincidental i guess i don't think anybody in the front office woke up one day and yep. said how do we get all the guys from guelph at once but <laughs> it, did work, yeah. it worked out great i mean a lot of these guys playing juniors or or you know growing up in, in a lot of these different tournaments and um you know, obviously representing their their country and their team all around north america as well too 
they get to know each other and become friends. And in this case, they happen to be teammates with all those guys. And I know when, when Fabry came over in the trade uh, with the Blues, I know there were a lot of smiling faces in the Red Wings locker room. I think Dylan Larkin even knew him from ways back, too, even though he never played for the for the Storm, of course. But it's great. I mean, it, you, you've seen it over the years with the Red yeah. Wings, whether it's local products in Michigan, uh, with uh, Western Michigan, Michigan, Michigan State, yeah. uh, or, or guys uh, coming from you know next door there from Guelph and other local products like that. Even I think of like Steve Ott who grew up in Windsor or Darren McCarty from Leamington and those guys, yep. you know, it, it's, it's gotta be a thrill for them to play for the local team uh, in the big club, but also it's, it's thrilling for the fans to be able to kind of track the progress throughout the course of their career. Uh, or like in Pew Suter's case, he went to Chicago and then came back and uh, Fabry was gone and came back. Ben Sherrod obviously will be a Red Wing for quite some time here now um, starting in the fall. And we're excited about that. So it's, it's great. I think it's a, it's another way, to have some local engagement in the community, but also have some of the fans kind of follow the, the careers of some of their favorites growing up too. Yeah. Being a camera operator with Rogers TV, I, I do all the Guelph storm home games and it's so great seeing these guys that I saw years ago in Guelph now become national hockey leaguers and also play for my favorite team in the Red Wings as well. Yeah, no, that, that that's great. You can, you can't really, you know, kind of, picture how great that is for for these guys as well too you don't make decisions in your career always based on geography but when you're an established player in the nhl or still trying to find your way like giovanni smith for example to be able to to play for a team where you're familiar with the area you probably have access to have some family come by and watch you play or spend time with them on off days and things like that that, that that's something that uh, can't be overlooked i think it, the the season is a grind don't get me wrong these guys are well compensated and they know it and they know it's a privilege to play in the national hockey league uh, or, or american hockey league as well but you know to to be able to have that family to lean on and some some friends in the area, maybe from your playing days beforehand, it's it's very important for the uh, mental side of the game as well. It can be pretty lonely out on the road like that, even though you've got 25 teammates and staff with you. To have family to come back home to yeah. and, and have them stay local like that is a, is a big thing for sure. Yeah. And the thing with Bertuzzi and Fabry, uh, they were a part of the um, 2014 OHL champion Guelph Storm. Mm-hmm. They had a bad game the whole year, and that was in the final uh, Memorial Cup game against the Edmonton Oiler King or Edmonton Oil Kings, who that's uh, the goalie Casa was drafted Mm -hmm. by, uh, was from Edmonton. So um, those guys are great, and uh, I hope to see Tyler as a Red Wing, hopefully for many more years to come as well. Yeah, I think, you know, if we know anything about Steve Eiserman, it's that we don't know anything about Steve Eiserman, and you never That's know true. what the roster is going to look like. But uh, Bertuzzi, I think Bertuzzi, and it's been said before, is a big part of the core of the team, both in the last few years and moving forward, I think. And the plan, hopefully, is to have him around long term. Same thing with a lot of the guys. Of course, Fabry coming off another surgery, which is unfortunate, but yep. you know, wish him the best in his recovery. He was a big asset to the team uh, when he was healthy with the Red Wings and, and found the back of the net quite a bit. And you got different aspects of the game with uh, Giovanni Smith and Ben Sherrod, as well as Pew Suter with a scoring touch too. So a lot of these guys that you mentioned here uh, from from Guelph uh, certainly have brought different, you know, positive aspects to the Red Wings and are a big part of the the present, but also the future as well in Detroit. Definitely. And I'm just going to, two more. do you got time for two more questions? Sure. Okay. This one I had to ask you, Eric. Thoughts on the 2021 uh, Detroit Red Wings team? Uh, obviously, Cider, Rookie of the Year, Lucas Raymond was outstanding. And what do you like about this team, the franchise, going forward in 2023? For for the 21-22 season, I think, you know, the, 
if the season was 50 games long, it would have been a lot happier than if it was 82. I think just the way it ended was unfortunately a little bit sour. There were a lot of games that uh, you want to you know, wipe away from the record books toward the end of the season, whether that was young guys kind of running out of gas in a long season or just they didn't gel toward the end. And there were some issues there after the trade deadline that, that I guess time will, you know, time will tell what ha- what happened there. But uh, overall, I think they did make some steps the right way. They were certainly a lot more entertaining on the ice than in, in the last couple of years beforehand and made some steps. I'm not a big fan of the idea that some fans have of, of, you know, tanking or kind of, um, not putting the best product on the ice in hopes that it gets you a great draft pick, especially the way the NHL lottery works. Nothing's guaranteed at all. Uh, And even if it were, I don't think that's the best for your, your locker room moving forward. So it was, it was great to see them work together and grind it out the first 55, 60 games. And then toward the end, you know, they didn't give up. There were some times where you kind of thought maybe they were that night or they just uh, couldn't find the, the back of the net and they kept digging it out of their own end. But, you know, whether it was Nadelkovich or at the time, Thomas Grice, and now moving forward, it's going to be Billy Huso. But, yeah. uh, you know, the, the goalies kept them in a lot of games, thankfully, and they took some steps. And now you need some of your younger players moving forward here to take that next step in 22-23. And I'm excited about the fact that the, the roster all the way up and down looks like it's a lot more deep, which is great. Uh, there's there's going to be a lot of healthy competition in, in training camp uh, and even in the preseason to see the roster spots. Nothing's guaranteed, like always. Uh, new ho- new coach, obviously, and Derek Malone, and then his staff that he's assembled. I think they're hungry, uh, which is great. You you want that. You, I think sometimes people get hung up on established coaches or, or veterans in the locker room, and don't get me wrong, they can provide a lot of stability. But I think young, hungry guys who don't know any better, for lack of a better term, is a good thing. And Derek Lalonde's got a ton of experience, but none of it is a head coach in the NHL, and that, that's a good thing too. He's going to have some bumps along the way, no doubt, but he's got a, a great staff around him that he's assembled and a lot of young pieces along with you think you know? You, you think about Dylan Larkin being a veteran in this league now, and it seems like we've watched him grow up here. But you know, he's entering the prime of his career. He's a he's proven to be a perennial All Star type player, uh, a leader in the locker room and on the ice as well. And so, I, I think they're going to take some big steps moving forward here. What that means in the standings, who knows? The, the division is loaded, as as we know, and nobody got worse. Everybody got better. It seems like, but we're in that mix too. So, the, overlook the Red Wings uh, at your own peril for sure. I'm going to put you on the spot with this question. Yes or no, do you see this team uh, making the playoffs next year? Yes or no? If I had to pick right now, I'd say yes, um, just because I, I think they're going to be a lot more stable uh, on the blue line than they were in, in 21-22. And it's it's hard to say, you know, what, what the what what unfolds with the schedule, but – when you look up and down the, the the schedule, it's obviously you know you're going to play. It's as hard as any of them, but I think they got some breaks in terms of the way their uh, road trips work out and things like that. And you can't really put a win-loss tag on that, but those things do matter throughout the year. So um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't expect them to necessarily – you know, win the division or be competing for a president's trophy. Don't get me wrong, but I think, you know, the real sign of success is going to be where they're at at the trade deadline. If they're not selling every piece off and they're either looking at standing pad or even buying a piece or two, that's how you'll know they're on the right track. And I think the last 15 or 20 games playing meaningful hockey will point them in that right direction. If they can sneak in there uh, into the playoffs, you, you never know. And, and certainly Little Caesars Arena is is dying for some some playoff hockey, and I'm looking forward to being part of that action, hopefully this year, but if not, real soon for sure. Definitely. Um, and before I wrap this up, I had to ask you this. I did this with Mike Ross and Tom Cahoon as well. Which NHL player and Red Wings player name has been the most difficult or tricky to pronounce? 
For the Red Wings, the one that sticks out to me isn't a difficult name on its own. It was just that you had to get the truth out from him, uh, depending on how you want to say the first name. So it was either Joachim, Joachim, or Joachim Anderson, uh, who played with the Red Wings from, from Sweden for a few years. Nicest guy in the world, never would correct you no matter what you would say. I asked the guys at the beginning of the year if I get a chance to see him, how do you pronounce your name? And most of these players are so humble and so nice. They just say, however you say it is fine with me. And and don't get me wrong, I appreciate the flexibility. But at the same time, I, I want to give you the respect you deserve as an NHLer and pronounce it the right way. So I just tell him, if your mother was calling you, what would she say? And eventually, uh, he, he said, you a Kim. And so I would say it that way. And, and Ken Daniels and I, between periods one time, Got not an argument, just a friendly back and forth about it. He said, what are you saying his name like that for? And I said, that's the way he told me to say it. So I stuck with it, and everybody else was calling him Yoakum. So I guess as far as difficulty to pronounce, it's not so hard to say it, just you want to make sure you say it right. And then when it comes down to what, what NHL player in general, there's a, a whole long list of them that are definitely challenging. But to me, the and you can probably appreciate this with some of the experience you have, a lot of the uh, French-Canadian teams – you, it depends on what city they're in is how they want to pronounce their name. Uh, so that can be a challenge because you want to do it right, but you also don't want to make it sound like you're kind of becoming a caricature. So I guess I would say any uh, Ottawa Senator and Montreal Canadian would probably be my tide for which are the toughest players to pronounce because if you listen to uh, uh, Michelle Lacroix do it for the Canadians or if you listen to uh, uh, Stuntman Stu and now John Trottier for the Senators, you know, they're, they're pros and they can go back and forth from French to English like it's nothing. It's pretty amazing. But for a, a good old boy from Newport, Michigan, like myself, it doesn't come so easy. So you've got to kind of do a little research beforehand to make sure you're not uh, uh, being disrespectful to anybody. And how important is that website you mentioned earlier in the podcast to make your job pronouncing names? How how important has that been valuable as a, a tool for you? Oh, it's been great because if nothing else, you know, if you're saying it the same way the home public address announcer is, you're being consistent. Chances are it's the right way to say it anyway, but that's great with a, with a click of a button and, and your phone nearby, you can pull it up. If you have to do it on an emergency basis because there was a surprise on the roster, so be it. But if not, you do your homework beforehand, you're able to hear it. That's always great because even if you go to, uh, you know, YouTube or a different site online or even the NHL pronunciation guide doesn't doesn't always bat a thousand. There's always going to be something in there and just where to accent the, the letter and how to pronounce it the right way. You want to make sure you're doing right by these players because, one, there's always a fan out there that will – uh, be be happy to correct you if necessary, but also you never know if their their friends or family are listening to the broadcast from thousands of miles away in Germany or Sweden or Russia, and you just want to make sure that if you're heard over the loudspeaker that you're doing right by them and they're able to uh, you know be satisfied with the way you're saying it. And that's what I'm trying to do with my podcast too. And and now if I'm not sure how to pronounce someone's last, I ask them directly before I was kind of not embarrassed, but now I've learned that. If you when in doubt, ask. Yeah, don't don't be afraid. It doesn't matter how long the player's been in the league or how established they are, never hurts to ask. And uh, you know, obviously we all know how to pronounce Patrick Kane or Sidney Crosby or Nathan yeah. McKinnon, but yeah. sometimes, you know, a perfect example, Dan Cleary with the Red Wings went by Dan. Danny and Daniel over the course of his career. And you might have to double check before the season starts to see what they want because it, Nate or Nathan McKinnon can be a big difference to him if he's listening. So you just want to make sure you're doing it the right way. And uh, you, you should never feel embarrassed to ask to clarify. So it's not a bad thing at all. 
Okay. And to wrap it up, um, Eric, and I'm sorry if I kept you more than 40, 45 minutes, but uh, I really appreciate you coming on tonight. I just wanted to ask you this question and we'll wrap it up. Um, any advice for those looking to pursue a career in broadcasting, public speaking, and where can my audience find you again on social media? And are you maybe just able to do a quick uh, go, a Red Wing Gold Call for my audience on my podcast, if that's possible? Sure. So regarding the advice for the uh, those looking to get a career in, in broadcasting, I guess on one end, you don't feel like you're ever too small to go after a job that you want. And on the other hand, don't feel like you're ever too big or something's beneath you to get a, a job you want. There is no such thing as a bad job in sports. They might not all pay the same. They might all come with the same amount of glory or they may not all be for the team you love. But I, I've worked for teams, namely in Cleveland, that I didn't consider myself a fan of ever and actually was a fan of the rival. I've worked for the, the team I grew up cheering for here with the Red Wings and and, and a host of others, thankfully. Uh, but on top of that, too, I you know at some point you're going to end up doing it all. If it's broadcasting, you'll be doing – uh, you know, beer league games on Wednesday night. You'll be doing kids t-ball. You'll be doing high school, college uh, events. You'll do the the big time, hopefully, if it gets to that point. So just never, if, if your schedule will allow it, never turn down a job. The experience is worth more than the money. Obviously, the money is important when you're trying to feed a family. But at the same time, the experience is going to get you farther. You never know who's listening. So treat every uh, event you do. Uh, like your dream job hiring manager is listening to you. So you never know what's going to come up from it. I've had people approach me when I've emceed a, uh, a golf outing that I thought was for, you know, 50 people and someone come up and say, you know, give me a business card and say that they had a, a job in, in mind for me. Or conversely, you think you're doing something for, um, you know, the, the, the high end executives and you find out that maybe nobody was listening and you thought they were, you know, so there, there's no, no such thing as a bad job. If the mic's hot and your voice is ready, go after it if you can. Uh, and as far as social media is concerned, yeah, you see it scrolling on the bottom. I appreciate it. E underscore Friday on, on Twitter. Uh, and Instagram is the best way to find me. I try my best to keep Red Wings fans engaged throughout the course of hockey season, especially, and mix in a little bit of other sports and just general fun online. But um, we, we try to give you a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look of uh, uh, Red Wings hockey and just life in the NHL. And I pinch myself every day when I walk into Little Caesar Arena realizing they're actually paying me to do this. And I've got great colleagues, and we've got great fans in hockey town, and we look forward to – a lot of fun here for, for many, many games. You know, the Iser plan, so to speak, is up and running, and we're, we're excited about the possibilities for sure. And I was going to say, and I, I found my passion at the age of 48, and now I'm uh, 50, and uh, I'm just going to take your advice and keep grinding away and uh, doing as much media work as I can as well. Great. There's there's never a bad time to to start. If it's something you're passionate about, that passion is going to show through in everything you do and everything you say. And, you know, coincidentally, you see behind me, obviously, I'm a lifelong Red Wings fan, so it's easy for me to to be passionate about it. But I, I encourage people to get out of their comfort zone a little bit and do something maybe they never envisioned and see where it takes you because you never know. And whether it's uh uh, you know, like I said, a one-time gig that can lead to more or you, you fall face first into your dream job like I did. Uh, you never know who's listening. So give it all you got every time. And I appreciate you having me on for sure. 
Okay, and I was going to say, I'm hoping maybe in the future I can have you, Mike Ross, and maybe Tom Calhoun all come on on a, on a PA announcer's job because I've been very lucky to have great guests like yourself and Ken Daniels and, and Darren McCarty and Joe Valino as well. Hey, before I let you go, are you able to do a Red Wings goal call for my uh, audience, if that's okay? Sure, it's probably not going to translate very well uh, you know, through through the online world here, but I can, I can do my best. Um, you know, I, I think one of the 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 big ones that we have uh, that's kind of taken a, a voice of its own inside the arena is if Tyler Bertuzzi from from Guelph there scores one, a good Sudbury boy. So I, I guess the if he puts one in the net in Little Caesars Arena, you'd probably uh, hear me say something like uh, Detroit power play goal is twenty first of the season scored by number fifty nine Tyler Bertuzzi. That's probably the one that gets the most reaction from from the crowd. And I know my my kids, my eight and six year old boy and my three year old daughter finally have started to recognize that one a little bit. So they have fun broadcasting like daddy in the in the living room when I'm up at the arena and they're watching with my wife. So the, the Bertuzzi goal call is probably the one that sticks out the most for fans. Yeah, For me, it's Bertuzzi and Dylan Larkin. Yeah, and, and obviously two guys that score more goals than most most players in the NHL, yeah. and especially more uh, than than the rest of the Red Wings. So here's hoping people hear me for a lot more good reasons this fall and beyond, and I think they will. I, I think we're all excited about the possibilities, knowing that it's it's a marathon, not a sprint, but we're getting there day by day. And if you take a step in the right direction every year, before you know it, we're talking hockey into May and June. Uh, you know, for for many years to come, we we can't wait to do it. And I was going to say, Eric, I'm I'm hoping when I come down to a game this year, I might be able to say hi to you and maybe Ken really? as well. That would be awesome because Ken is somebody I've looked up for 25 years to and 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 yourself as well. And uh, I just love being back in Michigan because I have family, like I mentioned, in Taylor, Michigan, and always have a great time supporting the, the Detroit teams. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, obviously, you're you're more than more than welcome to come say hi. We'd certainly like to meet you in person. And uh, I guess it's pretty easy to figure it out. You take the elevator up to five, walk down the hallway, and if you hit the organ, you've gone too far. So we're we're down at the gondola on the east side every home game, and usually quite a bit of time in advance beforehand. So uh, yeah, by all means, appreciate you having me on, and good luck in your broadcasting journey as you continue to take it here. And uh, don't hesitate to reach out to to those. Uh, that that can you know bounce ideas off here, give you feedback. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I want to say thank you so much, Eric, and I also want to say thank you so much to the Detroit Red Wings uh, for giving me this opportunity. And uh, this has just been great talking to you for over an hour. And uh, like I said, love the state of Michigan, love the city of Detroit, and I bleed uh, red and white forever. Absolutely. Hockey Town uh, truly is not a geography. It is uh, the Red Wings fan base all around the world is part of Hockey Town. And even though you're a next door neighbor of ours, obviously, we're um, thrilled, thrilled to have uh, opportunities like this to talk Red Wings hockey. It never gets old. I appreciate you reaching out and uh, for the time tonight. It was a pleasure. And we'll keep in touch on social media and I'll say hi to Mike Ross for you, too. You got a deal. Appreciate it. Chris. Okay. Have a good night, Eric. And thank you so much. You as well. Take care. You too. Bye. Anyways, guys, I hope you enjoyed my podcast tonight, season four, episode 19, with uh, the Red Wings public address announcer, Eric Freine. Uh, He's been their PA announcer since 2011, and uh, I love talking about his career as a PA announcer, uh, first with the Toledo Mud Hands, and then with the uh, Detroit Red Wings since 2011, and replacing, not replacing, but following in the footsteps of the legendary late 
Bud Lynch as well. I love hearing his stories uh, about Bud Lynch. And also uh, Ken Cal is somebody who I've uh, been a big fan of and admired uh, for the last 25 years. And uh, Ken, 20 plus years ago, gave me some advice about broadcasting. Unfortunately, at the time, I don't think I was ready to go into broadcasting, but he still took the time to write me a, lot, a nice long letter in the in the mail and uh and now 25 years later i'm uh pursuing a career in uh broadcasting and hopefully in the radio industry as well and a podcast is only as great great a podcast is only as good as its guests are and uh eric uh Freine was definitely one of my uh, uh favorite uh, guests to have on from the red wings and uh i want to say thank you so much again for eric for coming on as well and uh i want to say thank you to everybody watching this live on my youtube channel facebook and Twitter, and later on my audio platforms on listening to them on Apple, Google, Podcast, Spotify, Anchor FM, Breaker, uh, Spotify, LinkedIn, and Radio Public as well. So give me about 20 minutes and I will download uh, my podcasts uh, to audio as well. Uh, before we go, guys, I had the uh, baseball game the other night in Guelph at in Saturday night, and uh, I was able to speak to a couple of uh, London major players after the game. Hey guys, it's CDP from uh, Hastings Stadium here in Guelph tonight. Uh, the Guelph Royals defeated the London Majors 7-3, to but I have a couple of guys on from the London Majors uh, team that's going to talk to us for a few minutes. I have uh, reliever Brandon or sorry, Braden Farrington, I apologize for that, and uh, Byron uh, Reichstein on tonight. So, guys, can you uh, just talk to me about the game tonight against the Guelph Royals? Thoughts? Um, Castillo pitched a really good game. I mean, he's a great starter. He set the K record this year, and he just attacked the zone and threw really good off speed and, you know, had us really off balance all game. And it's tough to, you know, battle someone like that who's out competing. And you have any thoughts on tonight too? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a great pitching matchup, both on both sides of it. You know, from my view from the bullpen down there, uh, you know, high intensity from both sides, and you know, one one team had to come out victorious. Okay, guys, I was gonna say, what are your overall thoughts on the season so far? The London Majors are now twenty-five ten. You're in a battle for uh, top seed in the IBL with Welling, Welling, uh, the Jackfish, and also the Guelph Royals, who are now twenty-four and eleven after tonight. Well, you know, it's always great to have, you know, a battle at the top. You know, really go out and just compete day in, day out, and take no days off. Okay, and your thoughts as well? Yeah. Um, you know what? To have a league that's competitive, it's great. You know, I'd rather have meaningful games at this point in time of the season rather than just cakewalk. So having this kind of game is, uh, is good for everybody. Okay, and I was going to ask you guys also, what were your thoughts on being on the Majors IBL Championship team last year, the first time since 1975? You guys have had a lot of great teams in London over the years, but the first to win the first championship since 75, how special was that last year? Uh, it was good for the community. You know what? It's, uh, it's been a long time, but everybody really chipped in, and uh, overall, everybody had a, it was a great atmosphere at the end of the game. And uh, thoughts on the uh, IBL title last year and also being named the IBL final uh, MVP. How special was that? Oh, it's an honor. I mean, to see the guys in the past years that have won it, you know, step up to the plate and, you know, coming big for the team. And just to win the IBL championship in front of the home crowd was probably the most amazing moment 
of my baseball career so far. I mean, hoping we can do it again this year, next, whenever, you know, hoping to do it again. Okay, and uh, I was going to ask you this. Um, how did you get into baseball, and did you have a role model and a favorite team? Uh, my favorite team growing up was St. Louis Cardinals. I mean, I played for the St. Thomas Cardinals growing up, so it kind of just fell into place there. Uh, favorite player was Jim Edmonds. You know, he was a center fielder for them. And also Albert Pujols. I mean, he was one of the best hitters of all time. Uh, getting into baseball was my parents. Uh, they both played slow pitch. My dad was a really good slow pitch player, and, you know, he's always on the ball with me whenever we went to the park to watch him and my mom play together. They played co-ed, so it kind of was just in my bloodstream. Have you been to Bush Stadium in St. Louis yet? No, that's, I'm one. I'm hoping that I can go there soon one day. I was there in July of 2015 against San Diego. The birds won 3-1, but it was 108 degree temperature in St. Louis. That's, that's a warm up. Oh, yeah. Okay, and um, for you, how did you get into baseball? And uh, did you have a favorite team and a favorite player, favorite pitcher? Yeah, um, growing up, me and my dad, he really enjoyed baseball growing up as a kid and then he played slow pitch and then um, he has a child I guess he kind of just threw me baseballs and see what would happen uh, when I hit college that kind of changed I didn't have to hit anymore thank goodness nobody wanted to watch that but uh, growing up I don't know I'd say as a pitcher I kind of idolized my game around Brett Cecil because of the glasses curveball that's really my, my main two you know pluses out there on the mound so yeah, that's, that's who I grew up idolizing as you guys can see, I'll wrap this up in the next minute. I'm a huge Detroit Tigers fan, and uh, one of my favorite heroes tonight finally got his name in a uh, number retired in Detroit, Lou Whitaker, number one. Him and Trammell played together for uh, 19 seasons, 1,916 games, and uh, won a World Series in, in 1984 as well. Now, before we wrap this up, uh, I was going to say, what's your thoughts on your uh, London Majors uh, manager and owner, Roop? Roop's a great guy. I mean, you know, he really has your back whenever you step onto the field. You know, if anything doesn't go your way, he's there supporting you day in, day out. He's one of those guys that you want having your back because he's a guy that, you know, he brings everything to the table. You know, he puts his heart into everything he does. And honestly, it's one of the best managers. Yeah, kind of second off of him there. You know, he, he's passionate what he wants to do. He wants to win. And you know what? He kind of puts that message with the guys there. And, Day in, day out, he's there, and he wants to wants to win the game. And just, guys, briefly, quickly, quick thoughts on your next game tomorrow against Wellen at 735 at Lepat Park. And tell tell my audience why fans in London should come out to see you guys play this year. I mean, you know, we got a great team we put on the field every game. Uh, playing Wellen is going to be an awesome game. You know, we're battling for the top right now. So we're not going to walk into that game, you know, thinking it's just going to be a W. We're going to go in there work hard and we're going to play some good baseball yeah um well and it's gonna be a challenge you know what they're they're a good team over there but we're also a great team so it's going to be a battle every pitch and every play okay i was going to say thank you so much Braden and byron for coming on uh live with cdp interview tonight and i'm definitely going to try to come down back to london this year for a game at labat park one of the most beautiful ballparks and on for doing us. I know it was a tough night, seven to three to lost to Guelph, but uh, good luck tomorrow against Wellen. And thank you so much for uh, coming on live with CDP interview. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. And I will post all this on my social media. 
anyways, guys, that was uh, done Saturday night with uh, uh, Braden Farrington, who's the uh, London Majors closer, and Byron uh, Reinstein, uh, Stein, who's the uh, Majors outfielder, and he was the IBA, IBL's finals MVP last year uh, when London defeated Toronto to win their first IBL title since 1975. And right now, the top three teams in the IBL are London, Welland, and Guelph as well. So if you're in Guelph, Welland, or London, check out an IBL game. It's affordable baseball, and it's good competitive baseball as well. Also, guys, uh, just to let you know, my next Live with CDP Sports podcast is going to be Wednesday, August 8th at 7.30 p.m. Eastern with Toronto Argonaut superfan Nick Small. He's also a friend of mine as well. Uh, Nick uh, is a huge Argonauts fan. He's a season ticket holder at BMO Field for the Argonauts. And uh, Nick's going to come on Wednesday and talk about how he got into the CFL and became an Argonaut fan and break down the game, uh, the Argo 34-20 win over the Hamilton Tiger Cats at Saturday night at BMO Field. The Argonauts were off to a slow start in that game, down 14 to 6 at half, but they made some adjustments and got big players from their special teams, their defense, and their offense to win that game 34 20. The Argonauts are now 4 and 3 in first place in the CFL East, and the Argonauts' next game is Friday. August 12th at 7.30 against those same Hamilton Tiger Cats at Tim Hortons Field on TSN as well. So look forward to uh, talking to Nick Small about the uh, Argonauts 2022 season and breaking down the game against Hamilton as well. So I hope you guys can tune in to Season 4, Episode 20, again with Nick Small uh, this Wednesday at 7.30, live on my YouTube channel, Facebook, and Twitter. Please subscribe and hit like onto my uh, YouTube channel, which is slowly building up now. I'm at 121 subscribers, so my next goal is to get to 150. So anybody watching or listening this out, this please consider uh, subscribing or hitting like to my uh, YouTube channel as well. So, all right, guys, and uh, like I do this with all my podcasts. Uh, just give me one second. I got so many graphics on here. Live with CDP podcast. The audio version is downloaded to Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, and LinkedIn as well. And also, guys, StreamYard is the official live stream provider of Live with CDP podcast. And also, guys, you guys can check me out on wordpress.com slash home slash live with CDP podcast dot wordpress.com. I'm going to be doing another blog hopefully in the next week or two and check out my latest one from a week and a half ago uh, with the Argonauts Ottawa game at BMO Field as well. And also, I want to give a shout out to Are You Serious Tap Grill on 130 Silver Creek Parkway North in Guelph, 519-766-0230, the official uh, pub of Bill's Mafia in Guelph. And a shout out to the bartender, one of my friends, Dave, uh, for making me a great drink the other night. It's called the uh, Shark Margarita Drink. And uh, it's really good. It's a good drink that they've made. And uh, one of my friends there, Shelby, was kind enough to buy me a drink. So, again, please check out Are You Serious? Uh, 130 Silver Creek Parkway, North St. Guelph. They have great food and uh, a good beer selection. And they got good um, uh, bartenders and servers there as well. So, shout out to Dave from Are You Serious Tapping Grill in Guelph as well. 
And that's about it, guys. Uh, you can also follow Eric on Twitter at E underscore Friny. That's uh, E underscore Friny. So, again, I want to say thank you so much to Eric Friny, uh, the uh, public address announcer for the Detroit Red Wings, for coming on live with CDP Sports Podcast tonight, Season 4, Episode 19. And I'm really looking forward to this 22-23 Detroit Red Wing team uh, that's been uh, revamped by Steve Eiserman in this offseason and uh, with the uh, free agent signings of Andrew Kopp, David Perron, Dominic Kubalek, and former Gulf Storm defenseman Ben Sherratt. There's five Storm alumni now on the Red Wings. And former London Knight defenseman Oli Mate uh, as well. And then trading for Blues goalie Vili Hasso. I think Hasso. I'm going to have to work on uh, pronouncing his last name. But uh, again, I'm looking forward to this 2022-23 Red Wings season. And I'm looking forward to going, coming back to Detroit to uh, Little Caesars Arena for my first Red Wings home game since February 4th, 2019. 19 when I saw the Red Wings defeat the Leafs 3-2 in overtime at Little Caesars Arena on Red Kelly retirement night uh, before Red passed away, I think, a year later. So I'm um, looking forward to it. And as I mentioned to Eric, I'm hoping the Red Wings, if not this year, very soon, retire Hockey Hall of Famer and three-time Stanley Cup champion Sergei Fedorov's number 91. Uh, I really hope that happens. Sergei is one of the greatest Red Wings of all time. I think he's in the top four greatest Red Wings of all time, and uh, I do believe number 91 uh, deserves to be up the rafters of Little Caesars Arena, but I am so happy the Detroit Tigers finally retired Lou Whitaker's number one, and uh, that was long overdue, and now let's see Major League Baseball and the Veterans Committee uh, get Lou into the Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, hopefully in the next year or two as well. So, uh, guys, again, Thank you, everybody, for coming on live with CDP Sports Podcast tonight. Again, thanks to Eric uh, Freine for coming on. Um, I hope you enjoyed my podcast with him. And, uh, again, we'll see you guys. Uh, this Before I go, guys, I got a comment. Just before we go, just going to read a comment right here. And let's see. B. Smith, uh, you're the man. Thank you for this. Well, thank you for watching my podcast. Really, uh, really appreciate it. And I've subscribed to your YouTube channel. We'll be watching now. Just found you today. Thank you so much for watching my podcast. And I'm going to continue to work hard and great, get great guests. So thank you, Ben, our B Smith, B Smith, four, five, nine, three for subscribing to my YouTube channel and for watching my podcast today with Eric as well. Really appreciate it. And Sandra, thank you for your support, getting me some guests on my podcast show, like Riley Pitt. And, um, for uh, your good question for Eric tonight as well. So, all right, guys, that's about it. I'm going to wrap up this podcast show. But, uh, again, I hope you guys can all come in, tune in to my podcast this Wednesday, August 8th at 730 with Toronto Argonauts super fan Nick Small. We're going to talk CFL and Toronto Argonaut football. Anyways, guys, I hope you all have a great night. And thanks again for watching and listening to Live with CDP Podcast. We'll